My wife Shelly and I, we're just so thankful to be back here at Resurrection Life Church. My name is Scott Rogers, and if we haven't had the opportunity to meet, uh, we live near Sacramento, California, and we were down in Battle Creek today with uh, Victory Life Church, one of your sister churches. Super, super fun time, and just full of gratitude to be here with you tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie and Pastor Al, Agnes. Uh, I don't take this for granted, and... I really pray that when we walk out of here in about 30 minutes, that something's going to move in our life for the good, for the better. And so I just want you to kind of enter into this conversation in a posture of receptivity, because when we're done talking, we're going to give God some space to move as we pray and just press into Him and just give Him a chance to move in our lives. Is anybody interested in that kind of church going on? Okay, well, that's what we're going to do. If you have a Bible with you, turn to the New Testament, John chapter 9. How many of you guys are uh, paper Bible people? Come on, let me see the paper Bible people. You're in that century. Good for you. That's awesome. How many are digital? It's on your mobile device. You get to take God's word wherever you go. All right, there you are. Go to John 9. If you don't have a Bible accessible to you right now, all the scriptures, or at least most of them that we're going to use today, are going to be on the screen behind me, so you won't be left behind at all. So, John 9, we're going to camp out there. We're going to get into a lot of scripture. You guys still using the Bible? Al here at Res Life, still using the Bible? Okay, it's good. That's good. Um, when I was six years into my relationship with Jesus, which was also six years into attending Resurrection Life Church, I went to my 10-year class reunion from high school. Anybody ever been to your high school class reunion? Do you remember that at all? Uh, the high school class reunion, at least the tenure, is, is kind of unique because you go into it, you're, you're, you're not too far removed from the school experience in high school. So everyone goes there and we're, we're scoping one another out. We're just seeing like who got married, what do they look like now, what's going on in their life, and we're searching for the one that we, we voted most likely to succeed Wondering, okay, are they a success now, or did they flame out? And then we're always looking for the one that wasn't a verbal vote, but we're looking for the one that was like most likely to fail. Are they the next Elon Musk or Oprah Winfrey or Mark, you know, Zuckerberg? And we're just we're checking everyone out. And I'm sitting with my wife Shelley at our 10-year high school class reunion at a table. There's six of us around the table. We went up and got our food at a little buffet style deal, and we're sitting at the table. And the four chairs, other chairs are occupied by two couples, each of the guys I knew from school. We weren't best friends, but we spent a lot of time together, literally from kindergarten all the way through senior high. And we just start doing the small talk and the chit-chat while we're eating our food. And just a few minutes into the whole thing, one of the guys says, hey, hold on a second. Who are you? <laughs> and I'm just kind of taken aback like, who am I? What are you talking about? And before I could even verbalize a response, the other guy says, yeah, who are you? <laughs> and, and I go, guys, I'm, I'm Scott Rogers. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. Total truth. They stop chewing their food, and they go like this. They go, and they just stare at me. You're Scott? Yeah, guys, it's me. It's Scott. And what was different for them was I... Had already, God had already had six years of working on my life. I was different. Not only did I look different, obviously, but my, my, my mind's attention, my heart's affection had been totally transformed. I was a changed person. I was different. And if you guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
Have you ever experienced change in your life as the result of your relationship with Christ? Raise your hand if, if you've experienced it, okay? No, no, put them down. No, I want honesty here, okay? We're in church. got to tell the truth. That was too many hands. How many of you guys could say, thinking specifically of something in your life that is different because of your relationship with Jesus? If that's true for you, raise your hand back up. Okay, so I'm not making this stuff up, am I? And the great news is, if Thank you for your honesty. If you couldn't raise your hand, the great news is if God can do it for that person sitting next to you that raised their hand, he can do it for you as well. He can do it for you as well. And let me ask you this question, though. Is it possible to have a genuine encounter with Christ and remain the same? Is it even possible to have a genuine encounter with Jesus and stay just as we are? We're going to look in John chapter 9 at a man who probably has a passionate opinion on that question. So let's go, let's dig into the scriptures. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through quickly, walk through this chapter. We're going to make some observations along the way, but then we're going to unpack some application. And I think when we get to talking about how his story relates to your story and my story, a lot of us are going to start to see why God has us here tonight. So let's dig in. Are you guys still with me? Okay, good, good, good. Verse 1, John 9, verse 1, it says this. As he went along, now this is Jesus it's referring to. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Have you ever read this before and go, hmm, yeah, I wonder, what's up here? Well, sadly, these folks in that time, and it probably still exists today, they had a very narrow theology. And they believed that most, if not all, of human suffering was the direct result of personal sin. Jesus responds to their question in verse 3. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now hold on for a second. For those of you who read scripture, you're thinking, doesn't it say in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So Jesus is not saying they have never sinned. It seems that he's saying there, his condition is not the direct result of his or his parents' sin. So let's keep going after this thing. Jesus says this. He says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't say this happened because of? He doesn't really go to its source or its origin. He just basically is saying, hey, regardless of how this guy got here, God's going to use his situation for his own glory. And so he goes on, he says in verse 4, As long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's where it gets really interesting. Verse 6, After saying this, Jesus, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now just go there with me for a moment. Like, that's really unconventional. You ever try to like put God in your little religious box and say, here's how God does it all the time, and then along comes Jesus, and he's using spit to do something. Now, I haven't tried this yet, but I might try it later tonight. If it's okay at your house, Al, we'll go outside, we'll try this. I'm assuming to make mud with spit, it's not some, and, and forgive me if this isn't for you, but maybe it's just for me, it's, we're not, I'm not going to make mud with, I've got to like work something up. I'm thinking it's one of those, mm, I'm out on the hunt kind of spit coming out. 
I'm thinking it's taking some saliva. Jesus makes a little mud pie with a spit, rubs it in his eyes. Totally unexpected, unconventional. All right, that was just for me. I can see that. Let's keep going. Verse 7, Jesus tells the man, he says, go. Everybody say go. go. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and what? Came home seeing. A miracle. I mean, this is no small deal. This is amazing. The guy is born blind, and Jesus restores, doesn't he restore, gives him sight. What happens next? Verse 8, I love this. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? This is not even at the 10-year class reunion where 10 years of time has done its work on the guy. This is maybe an hour later or the next day after they saw him in that condition. Isn't, isn't that the guy who sat begging? It, it sure looks like him. And some claimed, other, it, others said, well, no, he only looks like him. It must be his doppelganger. Just looks like him. But he, but he himself insisted, I am the man. Everybody say, I am the man. Amen. And then they ask in verse 10, well, how then were your eyes opened? How did this happen? This is insane. And he explains it to them. And then one of the folks, well, here's what he says. He says, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? Wouldn't you want to know where as well? Where is this man? And then he says, I don't know. Everybody say, I don't know. And they're trying to hear his story. One of the folks evidently pipes up and says, you know what? It's the Sabbath. Oh, every good religious person knows no touchy the Sabbath. Don't even do good on the Sabbath. Let's take him to the Pharisees and let them dig into this story. They take the guy to the religious leaders of the day and they begin to interrogate him. You can read some of this later on. And they ask him, you know, what happened? Tell us your story. And they're digging in. He says, you know, this guy named Jesus comes along. He rubs mud in my eye and tells me to go to the pool and wash. And I can wash. And, and now I can see. And they're like, tell us the truth. Who do you, well, who do you think this guy is? And, and the guy's like, well, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. And it kind of irritates the religious leaders. So they say, well, let's call in mom and dad. Let's get his parents, and let's ask them what they think about this. They call mom and dad in, and they say, hey, is this your son? Yeah, it's our son. Was he born blind at birth? Yeah, he was born blind at birth. And he can out, yeah, he can see. Well, how did this happen? Tell us your side of the whole deal. And they're like, I'm not even going there because we don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. They say, he's old enough. He can speak for himself. Ask him. So they pull the guy back in and continue to interrogate him. Stay with me on this. Go down to uh, verse... 24. It says, a second time they summoned the man who'd been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man's a sinner. Why do they assume Jesus is a sinner? Because he did this on the Sabbath. He's violating their interpretation of a law. So how could a sinner be used by God in this way? We know this man is a sinner. And here's what the guy says. He says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I, and they don't like that story. In fact, they keep pressing in, tell us your story all over again, and he finally gets frustrated and says, why, what's the deal? Do you want to be his disciples too? And that ticks them off really bad. And they literally say to him, they say, you 
were steeped in sin at your birth. How dare you lecture us? And their self-righteousness just oozes out all over the place. And they give the guy the boot. you got to love religion, right? Jesus hears that they've kicked him out, and he tracks him down and has a short conversation. Look at this, and then we're going to talk about you, okay? Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when, they, when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, the guy says, Well, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Verse 37, Jesus said, You've now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he does what's only reasonable when one sees Jesus for who he really is. He worships him. And then Jesus says in verse 39, For judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. He's saying, I've come into this world so that those who are far from my Father, blind to the reality of God's love and who he is, can see him clearly through me. But I've also come to show those who think they've got God all figured out that they're probably farther from him than they would ever assume. And I would expect that if you and I were to ask this guy his answer to that question, is it possible to have a genuine encounter with Christ and remain the same? I think he, with passion, would say a genuine encounter with Christ changes your life. It just changes your life. Go back and look at the verse. Look at 25 if you have your Bible up in front of you. He says, I don't know if he's a sinner, but I can tell you this. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Isn't that the story of a follower of Jesus? Don't we all have that story? If you're a follower of Christ, our story is, well, I was blank, but now I'm blank. I was spiritually blind, and God turned the light bulb on, and now I see. I was without hope when it came to eternity, and now I'm full of expectation. I was living life full of apathy with my only purpose being getting a paycheck, but now through Christ I see my calling on my life and the purpose God has on my life, and I'm made on purpose for a purpose. I am not a mistake. God is investing me in this world in this season. I was blank, now I'm blank. I was addicted, but through Christ now I'm free. I was a Buckeye fan, and now I'm, whatever, that was for you. That was for you. But isn't that our story? I was that, and now I'm this. And if you think about it, if you're familiar with the Bible, all through Scripture is this open invitation that God invites us into, which is life change, transformation. There's a verse, you can check it out later if you're not familiar with it, in Matthew chapter 419, where Jesus, I think, gives a really good definition of what it means and what to expect as a disciple of Christ. He says this, he said, he said, follow me and I will make you into fishers of men. There's like three parts to that. Follow me, I will make you into fishers of men. And I think the definition we can get out of that is that a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and committed to the mission of Jesus. Life change is part of the package. Praise God When we step into eternity, we have peace with him and we spend it in his presence. But there's more before that and it's transformation in our lives. And the crazy thing is that 
Some of us are sitting here, and this maybe more like better to say the cool thing is, some of us are sitting here tonight going, man, if that, sky, that, that Scott guy's telling the truth, there's an area of my life right now that, man, if God would have changed that area of my life, it would be so much better. And maybe many of us are thinking of that right now in the forefront of your mind. There's an area of your life that you're thinking, God, okay, if you're real, if this is true, and life change is what you're inviting me into, if you could just do a work in this area of my life, please, God, would you do that? And maybe there's others of us here who've been followers of Jesus, Christians, for a long time. But maybe the last time you experienced life change as a direct result of your relationship with Jesus was 1979. And yeah, praise God for what he did then. But why stop there? Why not lean in and say, God, thank you for what you've done, but I I don't want to stop. I want to continue to experience life change, transformation, because you're inviting me into it. It's part of what I'm called to live is life change. So how do we, how do we, how do we experience this? Like, what is your role and my role in the process of change? Well, before we get to it, let me throw this out at you, because I think there's something really important in this narrative, in this story of this guy. Look at verse 25 again, just real quick. I just love it. I could keep reading it all night. Who, Jesus about Jesus. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He did not have a very well-informed theology. He experienced change before he even believed in who Jesus is. And then he got interrogated. People were kind of trying to talk him out of it. And here's what I think you and I, if you're a follower of Christ and you've experienced change in your life, you're probably going to get some interrogation by people pressing you, going, oh, come on, come on. And here's what we learn from this guy. Don't give up what you do know for what you don't know. He didn't have to give up what God had done in his life just because he didn't have it all figured out. He didn't have God all figured out at that point. We have uh, five uh, members in our family. We have Shelly and I and three kids And then on Christmas this year, this last year, we added a sixth member to the family. It was awesome. Her name is Alexa. (laughs) I know it's Sunday night. You're kind of waking up now. Here's the deal. Alexa has quickly become one of my favorites, like in the family. She doesn't ever talk back. She doesn't push back. She answers every question I ask. I'm like, Alexa, what's the forecast today? Well, today's forecast in Folsom, California is a high of 74 with a low of 53 on February 9. Thank you very much. Alexa, tell me what happened today in history. She'll give me a little bit of a historical tidbit. Uh, Alexa, tell me a joke, and she'll tell me a joke. Alexa, give me sports news. Alexa just always responds. And one day I'm making breakfast in the kitchen. I cooked up a few eggs and trying to eat my greens, and I'm pan-frying some spinach. And the way that I've always pan-fried spinach, I'll take a little bit of butter, throw it in the skillet, put a mound of uh, spinach on there, and just stir it around. And once it gets really soft and gross-looking, I'm assuming it's all good. It's all done. Well, I'm pan-frying this spinach, and I, I literally say to Alexa, who's in the kitchen, as I'm stirring up, Hey, Alexa, how do you pan-fry spinach? And Alexa responds, and she says, I don't know. And I was like, What? That was the first time I've ever heard Alexa say, I don't know. 
Well, what am, come on, Alexa, you're letting me down. What do you think I did? I put that spatula down. I went unplugged Alexa, threw her in the trash. Of course not, because Alexa warms my heart and brings so much value to my life. I'm not going to throw Alexa out for the one question she didn't know for all the rest that she does know. And don't allow someone in their interrogation of you to talk you out of what you do know for what you don't know. Because no one can argue with your experience with Christ. They might be saying, oh, okay, you're one of those Jesus people, huh? Okay, oh, Jesus changed your life, huh, Scott? All right, okay, well, tell me this then. Okay, so you're a Jesus person, you believe in God, so you believe in the creation account, Genesis 1. Well, tell me this, was it a literal six-day creation of the earth, or was it different than that? Because my science teacher tells me that the earth can be dated 4.6 billion years ago, and what about geologic scientific evidence for formations of all the, the, the earth, all blah, 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 and you can say, and if you don't have an answer, just simply feel confident and say, I don't know. But what I do know is I was blind, but now I, I no, come on, that's too cliche, come on, that's your crutch. Okay, Scott, Jesus really changed your life. Well, tell me this then, if God's behind all this stuff, tell me about the Neanderthals. I mean, was it the sapiens who kind of outflanked them because of the cognitive revolution? Or was it something else? Or was it the agricultural revolution that could blah, 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 blah? I'm not an anthropologist, and I, I don't know, but here's what I do know. He's the one that's changed my life in this area. No, not good enough, not good enough. Okay, Scott, Jesus, Jesus following fanatic here. If God's behind all this stuff, God created all humankind. He created Adam and Eve as the first man, first woman. Tell me this then. Did Adam have a belly button? Some of you are like, your faith is shaken right here at church, right? I don't know. What I do know is I was that and now I'm this. Don't give up what you do know for what you don't know. And may I just suggest, be okay with saying, I don't know when you don't know. Why do we as Christians feel like we have to have an answer for every single question that comes our way? I'm just going to give that to you for free. Be comfortable. Say, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know who and what he's done. So how do we experience this, though? What's our part in life change? Well, first, let me tell you how not to experience life change. Be just like the Pharisees. Look at this chapter, and you'll see it. They're full of arrogance, prejudice, and pride. How dare you lecture us? You were steeped in sin at your birth. Take it to the bank. If we walk full of arrogance, full of prejudice, and full of pride, we're not giving God hardly any room, if at all, to do anything in our lives. But think about this guy for a moment. What was his part? First, when it comes to experiencing life change for you and for me, let's just acknowledge what it is. Whatever God does in our lives, it's an act of grace. It's an act of grace. Even when we exercise our faith to posture us for something from God, it's all an act of grace. My opinion is God owes us nothing, yet he chooses to give us all that we need. This guy 
He didn't, he, he, he didn't, he wasn't going to church. He wasn't going anywhere. He just happened to be in the spot where Jesus is passing by and Jesus uses him for maybe one of the greatest object lessons in human, in the history of humankind. Let me show you how I, how I am the light of the world. I'm going to take someone blind from birth and heal them of their sight to illustrate who I am. It's an act of grace. But one thing we see specifically from this guy, and this is what I want to throw out at you, to experience more change in your life, maybe for the first time, maybe for the first time in a long time, is here's how it happens. Humility plus obedience equals a changed life. Humility plus obedience equals a changed life. Now, if you're like me and mathematical concepts confuse you, here's a different way to say it. Do what Jesus says. Receive what he gives. Just do what he says and receive what he gives. Think about this guy in John 9. Think about the humility aspect. Jesus walks up to him, spits in the mud, makes a little spit, saliva, Mud, so we'll call it, we'll call it spud, a little spud pie. Wipes it in his eye like, wax on, wax off. And the guy stands there and takes it. Now granted, he didn't see it coming. <laughs> it's just the truth. But in humility, he stands. Now, if it, was, if it was me, I would assume, I'd be like, someone starts rubbing mud and spit in my eyes, I'm like, Get away from me, you crazy nut. I, get away. What, I mean, think about it. But he doesn't. He stands there with humility and lets Jesus have his way. And then, what did he do? Jesus said, go to the pool and wash. He could very well have, just to pacify this crazy man named Jesus, he could have went, okay, and never gone to the pool and just went home. I am out of here. But he did what he said. He obeyed what Jesus told him to do, and what happened? He's healed. He receives his sight. It's just humility plus obedience gives God the room to move in our lives and bring about life change. And I think so often in our desire, a hunger for, for change, our hunger for something from God, we tend to pursue God's methods. When I would suggest, just pursue God. And in the moment when he chooses his method, which will always be biblical, but if he chooses some unorthodox, unexpected thing like rubbing spit and mud in your eyes, just stand there with humility and say, God, this isn't the process I expected, but I'm just going to take it right now and let you have your way in me. And then do exactly what you tell me to do right here in this moment. You see, not only is Scripture saturated with this invitation for you and I to experience regular, ongoing life change, it's just an open invitation at all times to step into it.